And the rest of you open up your Bibles this morning to John 15. John chapter 15, page 1068, if you're using a pew Bible. John chapter 15, page 1068. So we continue our study through the Gospel of John. Page 1068, John 15. And this morning we're looking at verses 1 through 10. Uh, Merry Christmas if you're first time here. Welcome. Welcome to all the college students who are back. It's just great to have everybody home and together. And it's one of the things we love about Christmas is everyone being together. It's awesome. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. This is what Jesus said. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me, And I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Well, as we study through the Gospel of John, we come this morning to the last of uh, the famous I am sayings. Uh, One of the signature features of John's Gospel is that Uh, there's many recorded passages where Jesus says, I am, and then there's some metaphor to explain who he is. So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. So it's one of those I am sayings. And in this one, he, he uses this simple imagery of a grapevine where he says, I am the vine, the true vine. And again in verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches. And, you know, I think this is one of those passages that Christians down through the centuries have always cherished a little bit, that we've loved a little bit, because there's something about this very simple image of vine and branches that resonates with us as Christians and, and makes us, helps us understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. It's like, what's it like to have a relationship with Jesus? It's a question we've been asking as we've been looking through these uh, chapters for the last, like, you know, maybe six, eight Sundays. We've been kind of coming around this question from different angles. How do you have a relationship with Jesus when he's not here? You know, he's Emmanuel, God with us, but he's not with us. And so what does that relationship look like? And, And here's an image that I think in many ways ties a lot of what we've been studying recently together. He says it's, it's like a vine in the branches. So my, my hope this morning as a result of this sermon, like what I would love to see happen as a result of this, is that as a result of studying this text, you would all be kind of wooed closer to Christ. 
and, and that I would too, that, that we would see what Jesus has to say here and our hearts would be kind of awakened out of our numbness and our cynicism and our sarcasm and, and we would be softened and drawn to want a deeper, closer relationship with Christ, more like the one we're reading about here. So here's, here's how I want to get there. Basically, I want to do two things this morning. First of all, I just want to lay out the metaphor because he's using an image here of vine and branches. So I kind of want to just put the pieces on the table so we're like, okay, we know what he's talking about. Let's not just assume we know. Let's figure it out. And then the second thing I want to do is then take all those pieces, put them back together, and say, how does this help us understand what a relationship with Jesus might actually look like? What does it look like in motion? So, so we're going to break it down, and we're going to put it back together. So let's do the first part. Let's look at the image itself. And as Jesus lays out this metaphor, you'll notice there are three main characters in this image. You know, first you might think there's two. There's the vine and the branches. Actually, there's a third, though, right? There's a gardener. Let's start with him. The father, verse 1, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. So God the father is the gardener. He, he's the one who's in charge of the whole process. You know, the gardener is the one who's pruning, shaping, training vines, fertilizing. He's the one who's making the whole thing kind of take place. The, the gardener is the one who's in charge, and that's who God is. He's the one in charge of this whole process that we experience in a relationship with Christ. Notice in verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. So God, like a gardener, is looking for fruit. That's why He's working at this. And, and he's, he's working at this. And if, if there's a branch that doesn't bear fruit, that branch gets destroyed and judged. If there's a branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it becomes even more fruitful. So, so God's interested in fruit. And, you know, I, I sort of interested in that little line there. He prunes. That can be a little bit painful at times as a Christian. I don't know if anybody here feels like God has been pruning them recently. It's a painful process. But it's important to remember that pruning is different from punishment. And that God prunes us so that we might have greater fruitfulness for Him. So, so He's the gardener, and He's at work doing this. And ultimately what He wants is fruit. And, uh, and it's for His glory. You know, this, this whole process of the Christian life, the, the whole end game, the thing you're aiming for at the end of the Christian life is for God to be glorified. I mean, that, that comes out at the end, uh, later on in the passage in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So the whole goal of this whole thing is, is the Father's glory. The Father is the gardener. He starts it. He initiates it. And he's also the end game. He's the one for whom all of it's being done is God the Father for his glory. All right, so the second character in the story is the vine. You see that in verse 1. And that's Jesus, of course. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Later on in verse 5, he says, I am the vine. So if God the Father is the gardener, Jesus is the vine. He's the, the life-giving plant. He, he's the one into whom all the nutrients flow, you might think of a vine, and through whom all the nutrients flow. He, he's the, the center. He's the one who gives life to all the branches and all the fruit. He's the central one in all of this. He's the one that the Father is concerned about and is tending. Now, why would Jesus call himself a vine? I mean, is it just because he's kind of reaching for a metaphor? Is it because he's talking to 
people who grew up in Palestine and there were vineyards around and he's just trying to be contextual. I mean, why, why a vine? Well, interestingly, look back at verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. And I think what's happening here is what's happened so many times in John is that Jesus is actually pulling his imagery out of the Old Testament. So when he says, like, I'm the good shepherd, that's Old Testament language. When he's saying, I'm the light of the world, he's pulling upon Old Testament images. And the same thing here. Uh, When he says, I am the vine, he's pulling out Old Testament imagery, that he's the vine. So you go back to the Old Testament, and you see that this is a common image. But in the Old Testament, God is the gardener, and the vine doesn't represent Jesus. It represents Israel. So in the Old Testament, Israel is the vine. And typically in the Old Testament, when God uses this imagery, it's because he's mad at Israel because they haven't produced any fruit. So typically in the Old Testament, when you hear vine and uh, gardener language, it's kind of bad news because God is saying, like, Israel, you're supposed to produce fruit. You're supposed to obey my laws. You're supposed to be my people, and you're not doing it. Let me give you one for instance. I, boy, I could sure go off on this rabbit trail for a long time, but I won't. Uh, in the interest of time, let me just show you one Old Testament passage. It's so cool. Go to Psalm 80. It's on page 582 in the Pew Bible. Psalm chapter 80. Here's an example of God judging Israel because it's been an unfruitful vine. It has not been the vine that God wanted. It's not growing the way he wants to. You know how any of you gardeners can be frustrated when the plant isn't doing what you want it to do. So here it is. Look at Psalm 80, verse 4. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? So God is angry with Israel. You have fed them with the bread of tears. You made them drink uh, tears by the bowl full. You've made us a source of contention to our neighbors. Our enemies mock us. Israel is suffering. They're being judged. God is angry with them. But then look at verse 6, or verse 8 rather. You brought a vine out of Egypt. Ah, that was Israel coming out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. They got planted in the promised land. You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its boughs to the sea, its shoots as far as the river. But we know the story of Israel. They didn't obey God's laws. They didn't keep his commandments. They didn't bear the fruit God was looking for. And so, verse uh, verse 12, Why have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass by pick its grapes. Boars from the forest ravage it. The creatures of the field feed on it. Animals are getting in and eating the vine. They're destroying it. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. So now we have like an imagery shift from vine to sun. Israel's the unfruitful vine. Israel's also the disobedient son. So what's the hope? Where's the hope then for Israel? Look at verse 16. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. So here's the answer. Verse 17. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man. You have raised up for yourself. So there's a prophecy that at some point God is going to raise up this son of man, this man at his right hand. 
And Jesus comes along, and, and he is that man. He is the true vine that Israel failed to be. He's the truly obedient son that, Jesus, that, that Israel failed to be for God. He's, he is Israel. He's the true Israelite. He's the true human being. He's the one guy who ever walked on planet Earth who did everything that God wanted done. All the rest of us, you know, are like Israel. Israel's just kind of a, a picture of the whole human race. We've gone our own way. We've made our own laws. We've created our own religions. We've devised our own morality. Only Jesus said, what is your will? I will do it. And so he's the true vine that, that grows. He's the one that's been planted. And so he, he's the vine. We're not the vine. You know, Jesus is the vine. He's the one who pleases God. We are the third element in the metaphor. We are the branches. So the father is the gardener. The son is the vine, the one who produces fruit and does what God wants, the one who's obeyed God's will. And who are we? We're the branches. Now I have to confess, all week I've been singing in my head the little kid's Sunday school song. He is the vine and we are the branches. His banner over, you know, make it stop. But it's been going in my head all week. He is the vine, we're the branches. We aren't the vine. It's important that you get that. We're not the vine. We're not the ones who've done God's will. Christ is the Son of God. He's the true vine. But we have life and spiritual significance as we're connected to the vine. And the purpose of our life is to bear fruit. Okay, because, you know, again, think of the image, the vine, the branches, the fruit hangs off the branches. We're the ones who produce fruit for God's glory. So what, is, what does it mean to produce fruit? Let's just kind of round out all the imagery here. How, you, you know, what's, what's a fruitful Christian look like? Well, I, I think fruit just means your life Put it this way, your life is producing those things that you would expect a follower of Jesus to produce. You know, what would a follower of Jesus look like who wasn't a hypocrite, who was walking the walk? That person would bear fruit that would look a certain way. So certainly, um, you know, you look down at verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So it's all that stuff that comes out of a real Christian's life over time that grows and ripens and looks like a real Christian. And I love the fruit imagery because the thing I love about that is it means that, you know, fruit takes time to grow and ripen. I'm so thankful that it takes time to grow and ripen because otherwise I'd be in big trouble. You know, the, the fruit is growing in our lives slowly as Christians as we look more and more like Christ. So a fruitful Christian, a, a, a fruitful branch, it bears the character of Christ. My character and your character, if, if we have a relationship with Jesus, should look more and more like Jesus over the years as we continue to follow him. You know, you think about Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Another one of those verses little kids learn in Sunday school, right? You guys, any of you kids here know those verses? Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the character of Jesus. That's what Jesus was like. And so a fruitful person looks more and more like Jesus. A fruitful person um, obeys Christ in his law. A fruitful person serves others. You know, Christ told us to love one another. It's one of the main thrusts of this passage. 
And so if, if I'm a branch that's connected to the vine, that's tended by the gardener, and I'm producing fruit, I'm going to love people more. I'm going to be more of a servant. I'm going to produce fruit, and it's, you're going to see it in my checkbook. You know, what I do with my money. Am I, am I supporting the work of the gospel? Am I caring for those in need around me to the extent that God enables me to? I'm going to be an ambassador for Christ. I'm going to be telling people about the Lord. All the, I, mean, I think a whole thing is fruit. It's all that and more. Um, and that's what fruit looks like. Maybe rather than listing it, just do this. Think of a fruitful Christian. Do you know someone in your life who you've known, that you've seen, another Christian who, like I said, isn't a hypocrite, not perfect, but they've been walking the walk and they've been following Christ. Can you imagine that person? And you say, yeah, I know what a fruitful Christian looks like. Uh, I mentioned this person in the first service, and uh, she's, she's uh, no longer living, so I feel like I can talk about her now that she's not here. But, you know, a fruitful Christian I think of, I mentioned the first service, many of you know, was a lady who used to be a member here named Barbara Geary. She was a fruitful Christian. Some of you don't know her. Those of you who knew her, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you're. She was so fruitful. She's a little 80-year-old lady. She's the, you know, she is the church lady, except not the one from Saturday Night Live. Not like the nasty, self-righteous, you know, stuck-up one. She was like, like everybody's grandma. Like everyone thought, you know, that she, you were her favorite person. She was so, like so much love, so much compassion, when she said, I'm going to pray for you, she actually did that. Um, you know, she would, she would help people. She's, chauffeur, she's driving all the other people around, you know, and, you know, 80 years old, and she's the chauffeur. Like, are you crazy? But she did it. She would just drive all over. She, um, she loved studying the Bible. She loved studying the Bible. And she loved to hug people and kiss people. It's just like so much ministry, notes, and words of encouragement. And even when she was at Linden Ponds, you know, for her, that wasn't just where she was living. That was her mission field. That was where she was going to tell others about Christ, and she would pray for people there. I mean, it's crazy. Fruit, just tons of fruit. And finally she was ripe, and God said, I'm harvesting this one. And that was it. And now she's with him. Can you think of a fruitful Christian? It makes you look at your own life and think, boy, am I bearing fruit, really? I- am I a Christian? Am I a high-impact, high-yield Christian? Or am I just kind of a high-maintenance Christian? Am <laughs> you know? I bearing fruit for the Lord? All right, so you got the images. The gardener, God the Father, guiding, tending, pruning, ouch. But the one who is shaping us to bear fruit and the one who receives the fruit, it's all for him. Jesus, the true vine, the only one who has kept the law of God, who has followed God, the, the one who has pleased God. And then we our branches to the extent that we can connect to the vine, and our fruit is the life of discipleship. Now, when you put all that together, when you combine all those elements, you start to get a picture of what it really looks like to have a living relationship with Jesus. It's like that vine connected to those branches that the Father is using to produce fruit for His glory. I mean, that's, it's a simple little picture, but it's so profound. And what it looks like in action then, what it means for us to have a relationship with Christ, is right there in verse 4, it's that little word where Jesus says, remain in me. So to have a relationship with Christ, our job is to remain connected to Christ. That's it. 
We're the branch. He's the vine. We stay connected. He says in verse 4, look there, remain in me. I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me. Verse 7, if you remain in me. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory. It's not there. Verse 9, as as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my Father's love, just as I obey his commands and I remain in his love. I think I'm detecting a pattern. You know, the word remain. That's one of the basic principles of Bible interpretation. If you see something repeated over and over in a short period, it's probably an important point. And that's what it is here. It's that word remain. Uh, in Greek, the, the Greek word here being translated remain occurs 10 times in 10 verses. So, so what does all of this imagery look like when you put it in motion? It looks like remaining in Christ. Some of your Bibles translate that word abide. Abide in Christ. That's what a lot of the verses, uh, translations use. I kind of like abide better, to be honest. There's something about that word abide. It has a connotation of, I don't know what, sort of dwelling and staying. And, and this, So it, it, I may be switching back between remain and abide as I preach this, so just bear with me. But I like that word abide, abide in me. So the life of the Christian, the relationship with Christ, is an abiding relationship where we abide in him and he abides in us and we stay connected to him. That's what it looks like. So, so let me tease out two implications of that. If, if a relationship with Jesus is being depicted here as a, vine, as a branch abiding in the vine, if, if that's my kind of primary dynamic as I relate to Christ is to abide in him, what does that entail? And at least two, two kind of implications of the abiding language. One is I think it, it implies intimacy. It implies connection. It's, it's an organically interwoven relationship. We're connected to Christ. You know, just like the vine and the branches. Yeah, yeah, the branch is not the vine. The vine is not the branch. And yet the two are somehow organically communing, connected in fellowship with each other. It seems to be this image that we've been hearing throughout John that Christ is in us and we're in him, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. There's intimacy and connection. Now, that may sound surprising to you because I bet for a lot of us, for many of us perhaps, uh, when we think of religion, what we don't think of is an intimate connection. When we think of religion, we think of disconnect. Right? That's how we grew up. It's like, yeah, yeah, I had religion growing up. We went to church or went to mass or went to synagogue or whatever. And, you know, I learned some things. But then there was real life over here, and there's this kind of gap between that and real life. It's more of a disconnection and a, a chasm between the two. And so it probably sounds strange to think of a relationship with Jesus not just being some rituals on a Sunday or a service I attend on certain holidays, but an ongoing fellowship and communion with him that we can know him and abide with him even when we're not in a church service that it's an an ongoing relationship 
Even for us who are Christians, even those of us who would say, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus, I just wonder sometimes if our Christian life can kind of not seem like that. You know, our Christian life is about kind of duty and obligation and going through the motions and it become very mechanical and very repetitive. But we lose that, that sense of being connected to the Lord and fellowshipping with him and knowing him. You know, to, to use the, the text from the Gospels that's been preached a bazillion times, you know, we can be a lot more like Martha in the kitchen doing things for the Lord and forget that we need to sit at his feet and just know him as well and know him as our Lord, to be connected to him. Sometimes we as Christians can be disconnected. You know, it's like when you go out to eat. I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience, but you go out to eat, and, you know, the great thing about going out to eat is food. You don't have to cook. And then uh, people watching, that's the other fun thing. So, uh, you, you know, you're sitting there eating, and you're kind of watching people out of the corner of your eye. And have you ever done this where you've been in a restaurant, and you've seen a couple, and they're eating, and then you watch again, and you watch again, and you realize, like, it starts to slowly dawn on you after about half an hour that they haven't talked the whole time. You know, it's just like, ah. Uh, Man, you know, they're sitting there eating and checking the eye, whatever, and, you know, just kind of like looking around. But they're, they're relating. And I don't know, maybe I just as a pastor that just breaks my heart, like I want to go over sometimes and be like, like, uh, listen, sorry to interrupt. I'm a pastor, okay? I know it doesn't look like it, but I really am. And um, I, I know you haven't talked. I just want to help you, you know, and that would probably just be a disaster. But you get those impulses. Like, how do you just help people? You know, they weren't looking for my help. Maybe they don't need it. Maybe, you know, something else going on. I don't know. But I don't want to be like that with the Lord where I'm just kind of busy living my life and he's right there. Like, All right, Jeremy, I'm right here. Cool. I got my thing going, Lord. I'll, you know, I'll call on you if I really need you, if I get in a pinch. Like, no, no, I want to have a, a constant fellowship with him. I, I want to speak to him in prayer. I, I want to hear from his word. I want to live close to God. And so that's one thing that, that I think abiding means. Is it's just kind of an assumption that we're connected to him spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that we know him. But I think a second thing, and probably this is even more to the point in this passage, more of the main point, is that abiding in Christ, a relationship of remaining in him, is also marked not only by intimacy, but by dependency. We are dependent upon him. My relationship with my wife is an interdependent relationship. She needs me and I need her. But my relationship with Christ is a dependent relationship. I need him. He's the vine. I'm just the branch. Look at the emphasis in these verses. Verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You can't do anything to please God that will make God satisfied unless it's coming out of Christ through your life. Verse 5 is even more explicit. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Really? Nothing? I mean, maybe I can do something, just not as much of something as I could have done. Like, like maybe I can do some things to make God's hap- God happy, but, but maybe I just can't do as much as I could if I had, like, the turbo boost from Jesus. So if I had Jesus, I could do more, but without Jesus, I can do something. No, 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 no. Nothing. Without Christ, you can do nothing. 
our good deeds do not please God if they don't come out of Jesus. Because if we're not flowing out of a relationship with Christ, we are trying to assert ourselves as a competing vine. That's the problem. If I'm trying to be a a do-gooder and a moral person, but it's not flowing out of Christ, I am trying to say I don't need Christ. I can be good enough myself based upon my own morality, as I define it, you know, and all that stuff that got us into trouble in the first place in the Garden of Eden. And we get into that mentality, and really we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing that to help people. If it's not flowing out of Christ, it is not pleasing to God. Whatever does not proceed from faith, the Bible says, is sin. And so we can't do anything of eternal spiritual value that has that pleases God unless it's coming from Christ with whom he's pleased, the true vine, and then through his Holy Spirit flowing through us so that we produce fruit. Because if it's not coming out of Christ, then who gets the glory? Me. And God will not share his glory with another. So we need to be connected to him. We're dependent upon him. It's flowing out of him through us and then producing fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit that pleases God. You, you express that dependency through prayer. That's one of the ways you can show your dependency is to pray. You know, look at verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And so, yeah, if, if you pray but you're remaining in Christ, he'll answer your prayers. And again, you have to be careful with that, right? Because it's not like that old country song, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? You know, it's, it's not like that, that God just kind of answers any whim that we have. Um, but it's that, it's that when we're in him and our heart is desiring what he wants, we can pray for fruit and he'll answer that prayer for fruit. So in other words, bearing fruit for God is not a New Year's resolution. 2013 is going to be the year of fruit. I'm going to be rocking the fruit this year, God. Just check me out. There I go. I'm going to get more loving this year. I'm going to be more patient this year. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to help people more this year, and you're going to be happy, God. You know, that's not how it works. It, it's not a resolution. Here's the resolution. Lord Jesus, this year I resolve to depend upon you and your strength as you help me do that. <laughs> Even that resolution I need help with. Lord, I, I, I resolve this year to remain in you by your strength in me, and I pray that out of that, you will bear the fruit you want in my life. It's a different prayer. And we can pray to bear fruit, and God hears, and he answers that prayer. You know, instead of saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make myself better, you know, say, God, you make me better. Let, let me be able to say, when people say, wow, you've come so far, you've changed so much, to not be able to say, oh, yeah, I know, I got my act together. No, you want to be able to say, Christ changed me. God is at work in my life. To him be the glory. I'm not the vine. I'm just the branch connected to the vine. You can be connected to the vine. You should try it. It's real. What a difference. Because the fruit, the glory, belongs to the gardener, not to us. You don't want to try to pick that yourself. Well, then this raises a really big question, kind of final question I'll leave you with, which is, how then do I go about remaining in Christ? 
how do you do that? If he's the gardener, Christ is the vine, we're the branches, he's looking for fruit. We can't produce any fruit unless we remain in him and abide in him. It raises a really critical question, okay, how do I abide in Christ? Like, I get the imagery, but what does it look like? How do I actually do that tomorrow morning? How do I do that this afternoon? How am I going to abide in Jesus? Look at verse 7. Here's the answer. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. We abide in Christ when we hold on to his word. It's the word of God. That, you know, th- this is what abiding in Christ looks like. This is what not abiding in Christ looks like. Okay? It's when his word is guiding us, when we are depending upon his word and following his word that we have life. You know, how do you abide in Christ? If you want to abide in Christ, do you have to quit your job tomorrow and go move to a monastery and move into a little cell with a little picture of Jesus and, and sort of become a contemplative monk? I mean, is, is that how you abide in Christ? To abide in Christ, does that mean you've got to throw out all your music and only play like Christian praise and worship CDs in your minivan as you're driving around? Um, you, you know, what, what does it look like to abide in Christ? No, no, no. It's when his word stays in us and we hold on to his word. It's his word that does it. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. How do I do that? If you obey my commands, if you stick with my word, you'll remain in my love. How did we become Christians in the first place? It was when his word came into our hearts. You know, do you, you become a Christian when you're a little kid and you, uh, and you go to a vacation Bible school or something? Does that make you a Christian if you grew up in a church? Does it make you a Christian if you were baptized as an infant? Like, how do you become a Christian? And the biblical answer is the gospel comes and the gospel confronts you. I hear the message that God is God and I owe him everything, but I've been an unfruitful vine. I've been a, a disobedient son. And though I deserve to be cut off and thrown in the fire... God sent his own son, Jesus, to bear my sin. That Jesus died and rose again. And now through faith in the true vine, not in my own efforts to be a vine, through faith in Christ, I can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And when that gospel message, when that word comes into my heart and I believe it and I repent of my sins, then I I come into contact with the life of God. And so in verse 3, you are already clean, he says to his disciples, because of the word I've spoken to you. So it's the gospel message that makes us Christians and cleans us of our sins. And it's the gospel message and the word of God that continues the Christian life. So I continue to grow in him as I hold on to his word. That's how I abide in him. So you've got to have the word of God. You've got to cling to it. That means, number one, you need to know the word of God. You've got to know it. That's a good New Year's resolution. I want to know God's Word this year better than I do. Maybe that means you try to read some of the Bible this year. You know, do this. Go online. Google two-year Bible reading plan. There's all these Bible reading plans out there that that you could read through the whole Bible over a two-year period. You just read a little bit each day, and there's some catch-up days built in. There's one-year Bible reading plans. I I would discourage that if you're kind of a newbie because, you know, it's it's a pretty hectic pace. Do a two-year plan and just... 
the goal is not to be able at the end of two years to be like, I read the Bible. Have you? <laughs> I didn't think so. But, you know, the, <laughs> the goal is to be like, I'm knowing God's word. Wow, I'm knowing it. I need to know what it says if I'm going to remain in Christ. Or another New Year's resolution. Say, January 2013, I want to join a, a growth group. You know, we have these groups of, of uh, Christians who meet around the South Shore, and they get together and they study the Bible. What's cool about that is you can go to the growth group and say, you know, I was reading this this week. It's made no sense to me. I don't think I get it. What is it talking about? And you have other people say, you know, I think it may be saying this, and, and you can kind of pool your knowledge to, to figure out what, God, what the Bible is really saying. So you've got to know the Bible. If you don't know the Bible, if you don't receive the Bible, how can Christ's word abide in you? So that's something to grow in. Anyone can do it. You don't have to have a seminary degree to read the Bible. Anyone can do that. But it doesn't stop there, right? You can know the Bible really well and not abide in Christ. The Pharisees knew their Bibles, and they didn't abide in Christ. You, you can hear lots of sermons and have a head full of knowledge But to abide in Christ is to take the knowledge of the Bible and to do something with it. And one thing you've got to do with it is you've got to believe it. (laughs) You've got to believe it. You've got to believe that Jesus is the vine and the good shepherd and the resurrection and the life. You've got to believe it when it says, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. I mean, do you really believe that? If I believe that, then I'm going to start praying. Okay, God, I believe you. That you you can produce fruit in my life if I ask for it. So, Lord, I'm going to start asking for fruit. You know? You you believe it when it says in Romans chapter 8 that uh, all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So that when bad things are happening into your life, you, you can say, I believe that God is in control and this is for my ultimate good, that this has a purpose. People say that all the time. Everything happens for a purpose, but then they don't really believe in God. And it's like, well, how does everything happen for a purpose? It, it implies there has to be someone who has a plan. God has a plan. He has a purpose. And so when I trust his word and I say, I'm going to believe, God, that you have a purpose, I, I can remain in him even when my whole world is burning down around me. Which is why, if you go back to chapter 14, verse 27... He says in chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The world says, look, if you want peace, you got to get the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend or your spouse has to change the way they are because that's really why you don't have peace. It's your spouse's fault. Or you need to hit the Powerball because then you can quit your lousy job. That's what's not giving you peace. But if you had enough money and you could just write that letter, you've always wanted to write to your boss, and, you know, there you go. See ya. I'm out of here. And, you know, and, and you could finally have the car. See, it's the car you're driving. You know, I, I, you know that's why you don't have peace. You're driving a minivan. Seriously? And, um, you know, if, if you could fix all the circumstances, the world's peace says, then you would have peace. That's the world's promise. This is different. This is the world could be burning down around you in your life. But if you have Christ, you have peace. You can abide in Him. So abiding in Him does not mean that your life is perfect. It means that you have Christ. 
even when it's, it's not perfect. And you're trusting that he is using these painful circumstances to prune. You've got to believe that. So it's believing his word. So you've got to have his word. You've got to learn it more and more. It's a lifelong process that everyone can do. Anyone can do that. And then you can believe it, trust it. Anyone can do that. And then the third thing is, of course, you have to obey his word. And so I need to start taking those opportunities. And when I see someone in need, and his word says love one another, and I see someone in need in the church, and it's right in front of my face, I just need to, to reach out and, and help that person. You know, and um, I heard uh, one of the guys after the service was telling me a story about he was in his office, and end of the day, everyone had gone home, and, and he was like the last guy there. And uh, one of his coworkers gets a call, and, you know, she, he kind of hears, you know, you hear the, overhear the phone calls, and it was one of those like, oh, no, oh, no, and the person you know, comes staggering out of their office, and this, this lady, his coworker, just found out, just found out that her brother had been killed in a car accident. And so, you know, she's like, oh, you know, what do I do? And, and he just took her, sat her down. He's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'll do an auto-reply on your emails. I'll set your voicemail up. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Okay, now you can go. And he just kind of, like, helped her right in that moment. You know, it's, a, it's like a simple thing, but someone right in front of her and him in need, and he didn't just sit there going like, oh, my goodness, this is awkward. But, you know, just step in and love somebody. Like we're called to do as Christians. There's the guy on the side of the road and we're the Samaritan, you know? And, and, and so you help that person right there in that circumstance. And, and, and he was interesting. He says, you wouldn't believe how many times she's come back to me and said, I just want to thank you for what you did that day. You never know what that meant to me. And it's just obedience. It's obedience to his word. And who knows what the Lord will do with that someday. And it's obedience with our money. It's obedience with our time to his word. And as I continue to know his word, believe his word, obey his word, I will find a life of dwelling in Christ. Do, do you feel as a Christian disconnected from the Lord? Well, let me ask you, are you in his word? If you look at your life and you're like, I'm not reading the word, and I'm certainly not believing it, and I'm not doing it, well, like, no wonder you're not feeling connected to God. You've got to let his word dwell in you and you in it. I'll end with this story. I... Uh, I had a cool fruit-bearing experience this week for myself. And I tell this not to brag, but more just out of my general sense of shock that it actually happened. Um, I'm like, wow, I'm going to tell people. So anyway, I, uh, so, what I, so what I try to do, my morning routine is, I, and I don't always do this, but I, my effort is I try to get up, have breakfast, read my Bible. I'm going through a Bible reading plan, and it uh, just helps me stay disciplined. And then, uh, then I take my dog, and I go for a prayer walk. I walk around, and... I take the membership list. I pray for members in the church. and just pray and, you know, talk to God or whatever. And, and so recently I've been talking to God about this verse. This week I've been praying like, God, I want to know what it means to remain in you. I want to remain in you, Jesus. I'm preaching on it Sunday. It would be helpful if I knew what that meant. I, uh, I, I think I know, but I feel like I'm just kind of, I feel like even what I'm telling you today is just kind of like scratching the surface a little bit. Like, you to really remain in Christ. Like, I want, I want that. I don't want to just preach a sermon on it and like go home. I, I, I want to abide this week. Whatever, wherever I am, whether I'm on a prayer walk with you or whether I'm in the hustle and bustle of life. You know, that's the cool thing about abiding, right? You can abide even when you're crazy busy because it's about 
His Word dwelling in you. So whether your life is calm or crazy, you can abide even at work, even on the commute, even when you're dealing with toddlers, even when you're taking a, a Spanish test at school, you can abide in Christ. So I was like, I want to know what this means more. I want, I want to be abiding, Lord. And I'm praying, I want to bear fruit. And, you know, I want to be an ambassador for you. Give me opportunities to talk to people today, to tell about you. And I'm praying all these things. And I come around the corner and about by my house. And I look up the street and I see my neighbor who recently had an operation. So he's kind of hobbling along. He's getting out, recuperating. And his back is to me. And so it's, it's that one of those moments where like, Huh, what do I do here? Do I go talk to him or do I just sneak into my house? It's sort of a New England moment, right? And um, so for you extroverts in the audience, that's a no-brainer. If you're an introvert like me, this is a major life decision. You're like, you know, it's like at church I'm paid to be an extrovert, but in reality I'm an introvert. So oh, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? So I was like, well, I've been praying that God would use me. Like, well, I guess I'll just go be a neighbor or whatever. So I was like, hey, you know, I'd come with the dog. And I'm like, yeah, it's easy to catch up with you. Ha, ha, you know, we were joking and bantering and kind of, <laughs> like I said, I should have just gone in the house, right? <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, just like guy, you know, guy banter, you know, make fun of each other kind of stuff. So, uh, so, so we were just talking and whatever. And, and like very early in the conversation, you, you know, he just says to me, well, I've been thinking about Christmas. And uh, I said, wow. That's all I said. I just kind of, ah. You know, it's guy talk. It's like monosyllabic syllabic grunts. It's like, ah. He's like, yeah, not all, this, uh, not all this commercialism, you know, materialistic stuff. And I was like, yeah. And then, and th- then he said, like, the third thing he said was, I'm thinking about going to church. And I was able to muster more than a grunt. <laughs> I said, well, you should come to church with me. We've got an elevator. You can get in the sanctuary. He's like, ah. <laughs> what time? Yeah, four o'clock, six o'clock. Take your pick. All right. I'll think about that. Okay. Hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Like, I was like, wow, that was easy. You know? <laughs> so, I, like, I bore fruit. I mean, not like a watermelon or anything. It was like, it was like a blueberry. But I'll take what I can get. And I was like, wow, that was so easy. Like, I, I bore fruit. Like, God used me. He had the whole thing set up. I just had to kind of stand there and grunt. And God, God used me, and I got a sermon illustration out of it. So that was awesome. It's a great deal. So, uh, yeah. Like, that's what it is. And, you know, there's those times in your life when you're just in the Word, in prayer, and you feel like the Holy Spirit's just kind of carrying you along, and things like that happen where you're just like, obviously God just needed somebody to show up and grunt, you know, and say, yeah, come with me. I mean, like, you know, like, it's so encouraging to think that God could use me in, in, in my personal limitations, my pers- interpersonal personal limitations to, to be a gospel ambassador and to bear fruit. Here's the really cool thing. So that, that story... Like, that's God's whole plan for reaching the South Shore. That's it. God's plan for reaching the South Shore is not to bring in a world-famous evangelist. Well, he may do that too, and that may be a piece of it, but that's not the kind of meat and potatoes plan. That's like the special event plan. But you know, the, the everyday plan is like you and me abiding, staying connected, 
loving him, trusting his word, and then just kind of floating out there where we, wherever we go, abiding as we go. And whether it's someone at the work or a neighbor or a kid at school or whatever, and just looking for those chances for God to open up doors for us to love people and to share Christ or even just invite them to church or whatever it is we have the opportunity to do. That's his plan. Is you and me bearing fruit as we abide. And through this is how God is going to make disciples for himself. It's so awesome. And it's all, it's all for his glory, not for ours. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to abide in your Son to whatever extent we even understand what that means. Lord, we pray, help us to abide. Help us to hold on to his word, hear your word. Help us to believe your word. Lord, help us to stay connected to other Christians in a local church where we can see each other's fruit and be encouraged by the fruit bearing we see around us, Lord. Help us to, uh, to be useful to you this week. Lord, there are so many people who are hurting or questioning or uh, people who think they're all set and, and they don't even realize that there is a fire into which the fruitless branches are being thrown. Lord, whatever, help us, Lord, to be used by you. We want to bear fruit. Oh, Lord, we want to be a fruitful church. Help us not to be a hypocritical, fruitless church. And Lord, I thank you already for all the fruit I see in this congregation. And Lord, we look at New England and we're so tired of looking at dry, fruitless vines. Oh God, would you, by your spirit, let this be a fruit-laden land again. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.